Father, we just thank you for this time that you uh, have given us to come together as a group. And we just thank you for the ministry. We thank you for, Lord, not my words, but your words to be spoken in this message. And we give you praise and thanks for the blessing that comes from it, the blessing that we will receive from hearing what you have to say to us. We give you all the praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we discussed the plight of what it means to be a myopic or nearsighted believer and what it takes to overcome it. And we discussed the downsided traits of this myopic believer, the hidden fruits, the person who complains all the time, the person who's unappreciative. I mean, those are things we discussed, and we presented remedies to grow strong in your faith as a believer. And we discussed the importance of how it is to build and develop your faith, develop your image in order for you to become more faithful and confident as a believer in Jesus Christ. Remember, we ran down, for those of you who were here last week, what an image is. An image involves investigating God's word, uh, meditating on his word, applying his word, growing in Jesus Christ, and enduring the hardships that will certainly come. Now, the key phrase there is enduring the hardships. There will be hardships. There are going to be things that are going to be difficult to deal with. So with that in mind, when I was in high school, most of us had formative years in high school where we learned about life, interacting with a bunch of other people that we really didn't know. Or maybe we grew up with some of them or not, but there may be in some cases like mine where I went to school with very few people that I knew. It was a private school. Some of you may remember Chanel High School. Uh, it's in Bedford, Ohio. Chanel just closed recently. It was one of those schools that I thought would be around forever, but just like a lot of things, they don't. everything doesn't always last, amen? But Chanel High School was a college preparatory school. Uh, it was a Catholic school up in, in Bedford, Ohio. And one of my experiences at Chanel High School was getting used to the new environment. As a freshman, I didn't do a whole lot. My grades weren't all that great. I think I got like a 2.9 average starting out. And for me, that was kind of below where I would expect to be as far as school is concerned. This is not about how many grades I got. This is more about perspective, if anything. It didn't take me, it took me until, frankly, my senior year to throw off some of the fears that I had to get more involved or more interactive in school. My senior year was like a breakout year when I finally figured it all out. I mean, I did something where I'm watching all these guys who play football and basketball get all these accolades, you know, and I, I could barely, you know, run a football or throw it around or anything. In junior high school, when I played in football, that was a very short stint, but I enjoyed it. But for some reason, that was a big deal of that back then, looking at all the people who were doing so well, and here I am just floundering. Up until my senior year, where I actually took on the responsibility of being the editor for the news magazine for the paper. Well, for me, that was a big leap, doing something like that. And then heading up the intramural basketball program. We had more teams in intramural basketball. This is basketball with the priests um, and also the people participating. We had 11 teams. That was the largest number we ever had. That was a real blessing for me, just knowing that being involved with something and taking part and stepping out and doing something, that would work out. Being involved in the bowling team. I wasn't a great bowler, but bowling was something I really enjoyed, getting up on Saturday morning and going downtown in the Greater Cleveland Interscholastic Bowling League. That sounds really official, doesn't it? There's like 24 different teams from all over the area. And for a while there, we were competing very well on the handicap side. And we got blown out one week. But those things happen. But I got a letter for a sport. What a great thing to letter in bowling. But it's a letter. So you take that letter, amen? But all of those things took place in my senior year because I had to do one very, very important thing that we all have to deal with. It's overcome your fears. Overcome your fears. I mentioned earlier about enduring the hardships that are going to come. Well, the hardships 
sometimes come because things happen to us, and sometimes we do things to ourselves. Fear is one of those things that we do to ourselves. We'll talk about it a little bit more as we go along. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. You, you're welcome to turn to that. Um, but I wanted to let you know about how God looks at you first. And I believe we looked at this verse last week as well, too. But I want you to see that part of this discussion we'll have today about fear is understanding what, how God sees you. And one thing that I want you to get from all of this is that you as a person have to make that connection with Jesus Christ to understand your value. Your value in the kingdom. And let's look at this. It says, But thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. That is what we should always be striving for as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? Being put on display, having people see the aroma, and I don't mean a bad smell, I mean a great, wonderful smell of Jesus Christ wherever you go. You ever walk into a room, for example, oh, we had a thing at work where someone bought French fries. And you know how you have that vinegar that you put on the fries? Well, you can imagine in your, in your head, Geauga Lake or going to an amusement park and smelling that wonderful smell. Unless you just don't like vinegar. And if you don't like vinegar, what's wrong with you? But anyway, but if you have a smell like that, that is a wonderful smell. Someone would bring that up from the cafeteria downstairs and put it by their desk. And that smell permeated the whole work area during lunchtime. And I'm like reminiscing, oh my goodness, what a wonderful smell. You know how you walk into a store and they have these perfumes that are out? Hopefully it's not where they've just overdone it with perfume, but there's an aroma that you're walking into. Usually it's a sweet smell, a fruity smell, something like that. A smell that you want to be around all the time. A lady picked up a bar of soap at the store we were looking at here. It's one of those scented soaps, and she just held that scented soap to her face and wouldn't put it down. She was really torn. Do I want to buy this or not? But it was a sweet smell to her. That's how we should be as people in the body. Wherever you go, there's this sweet aroma of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we always want to strive for. That's what we always want to move to do. But what holds us back from that? Believers in Jesus Christ are reminded by Scripture to be confident in their faith. But often, this is easier said than done. Amen? Scripture says it. We should be confident in our faith. But often it's easier said than done. Perhaps you've experienced difficulties or setbacks in your faith because of life's circumstances. You've all heard the sayings, one step forward, two steps back. That means you're not making progress in your own mind. These circumstances or setbacks are completely normal. Amen? Normal. Remember what we said? Hardships are going to come. Part of your image is to endure those hardships. You can be a believer in Jesus Christ and experience different degrees of hardship. In these experiences, now what you're experiencing is a lack of of confidence in your circumstances. This confidence that we talk about now is lacking. You're not as strong as you were at some given point in time. You're trying to get caught up. You're trying to get back to where you want to go. But there's this lack of confidence in where you are. Where does this lack of confidence come from? Where does it come from? 
Let's take a look at that. First, it begins with a loss of focus on Jesus Christ. You can write that down. That's part of it. It's a loss of focus on Jesus Christ. It's a loss of focus on looking at him, which causes us to lack confidence. Next, it continues with doubt. Doubt. Something is not right. And now, you're not quite sure of the outcome of the situation you're in. Something's not right. There's doubt. And you don't really know where this is going and where you're going to end up. Amen? Finally, the loss of focus and the doubt is stirred up with a potion. A potion of fear. Fear. The doubt, the loss of focus, add into that, mix it all together, and you have fear. A loss of focus is a huge distraction in your walk of faith. Amen? Huge distraction. When you lose focus, you're distracted. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Amen? Amen. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Fear creeps in when faith is absent. Fear creeps in when faith is absent. You see how all those work together? You're not sure what's going to happen. You're not sure what's going on. Now, understand something, too. In order to get back to a place where faith can be placed at the forefront, you need to overcome the greatest obstacle in all of this, and that's fear. Fear is your greatest obstacle. If you're not fearful, you won't have to doubt anything. You just go ahead and do what you got to do. You don't stop, half-step, do anything. When there is no fear, you can move. But fear is what stops us. The greatest obstacle that perpetuates doubt, which is the opposite of faith, is fear. And what is fear? Fear comes from the available information, whatever circumstances you're in, whatever situation you're in, whatever the moment is. It comes from the available information or it comes from a lack of information. In other words, you want more to help you to process what's going on. Information is the key. You either have information right then and there to decide to be fearful or you don't have enough information. And you're trying to get more. Which leads to a perception or anticipation of a negative outcome. Did you get that? Fear is information presented to you right now. Or a lack of information that gives you a perception that there is going to be a negative outcome. There's no reason to be fearful if you expect everything to be okay. You think something bad is going to happen. You think something negative is going to happen. Amen. This is something that everyone in this room knows about. There are many different ways. I wish it weren't the case. But there are many different ways that fear becomes manifest in the life of a believer. Now, here's where I want you to write some stuff down, because you're going to look at this list that I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a top ten list that encapsulates how fear can overshadow a person's life. Now, understand something. I'm addressing believers. This, of course, applies to everyone, because all these things we're talking about are experienced by everyone. But the believer is supposed to be able to overcome these things. 
But we have to understand that sometimes we have to figure out how to do that. But let's take a look at these 10 things. Top 10 things. We're going to start with number 10. Number 10, losing your freedom. Now, that phrase can mean a whole lot of different things. Number 10, losing your freedom. Well, what is freedom to you? It depends on you as the person, doesn't it? I mean, we can go back to the days when, if you choose to use your imagination, back to the days when you had the Emancipation Proclamation and you had the slaves who were freed, but there were some slaves that didn't have that ability to stay free. So perhaps that was a fear of theirs that they could not keep their freedom. In many cases, they had to carry papers around to show that they were free or have some sort of an insignia or a seal to indicate that. It really depends on where you were. Number nine, the unknown. This is a big one. Fear of the unknown. That goes back to the definition of fear that we gave, this little rough definition. A lack of information. Not knowing what's going to happen. What is going to be the outcome? Fear of the unknown. That's number nine. Probably should be number one. But we'll get to number one. Don't worry, there's plenty here (laughs) that you could be fearful of. Number eight, pain. Pain is something that many of us do not like to experience. Amen? And we're not just talking about physical pain. Physical pain is one thing. Emotional pain is another. But we don't want to go through that. When you go to the doctor, one of the things that they are very conscious of and always have been conscious of is taking care of your pain issue first and fixing the problem afterward. That's the way they're trained. That's the way they do it. They always want to manage the pain first. And they'll ask you various degrees of pain. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much pain are you going through right now? 10, for goodness sake. Do something. It hurts. You come back with a 4 or 5, you know, okay, we'll manage that. We'll deal with that. Many times we're hollering, 10. It hurts. Headaches can be debilitating for some people. People who suffer from migraine headaches deal with pain on a regular basis. I don't know how they can function. If I had a migraine headache, I'm ready to shut the lights off, close the door to my room, and try to sleep. But some people deal with that all the time. Number seven, disappointment. Fear of disappointment. Well, who in this room has not been disappointed at one time or another? Disappointment will always be in your life. Someone that you look to or maybe even look up to or maybe your children will just find ways to disappoint you. I pray that it doesn't happen. But if you live long enough, it probably will happen. You have an expectation Uh, Yet, they do something that you don't expect. That can be disappointing. Some people are very afraid of that. Number six, misery. Misery has its own word. Misery is something that, if you've been involved with depression, if you've been involved with dealing with issues in your life where you just can't seem to get things clicking, things aren't working right, there's this prevailing aura in your life that is based upon misery. And we know this is nothing to joke about under any circumstances because we know that people have committed suicide because they just weren't able to deal with it. But people fear misery. Here's a big one, number five, loneliness. Loneliness. Loneliness is one of those things that can happen to children, to adults, at different parts of your life. Loneliness. There's a fear of being alone. Fear of having to deal with things on your own. Number four. This has been in the news more recently, too. Ridicule. When we talk about people who go to school and bullying, I'm very thankful that my experiences when it came to being bullied or people picking on you were not so extreme. I mean, they weren't great. Let's get that straight, okay? 
Many of us have had experiences where we went to school and we just got outright picked on because we were different or something was up with us because, you know, maybe I had too big of an afro or maybe my afro was too short. Whatever it was, you got picked on. And kids are cruel. They're vicious. They really don't care how you feel. <laughs> you look funny. You bookhead. Fear of ridicule. Notice how these online schools in high school are skyrocketing because of the potential to get away from people who are bullies. It's a big deal in school. It messes up your education. Number three, rejection. Rejection is a big deal for believers. If you're not confident in God's word, you're going to be put on the sidelines because you're afraid of being rejected. Guess what? You're going to be rejected all the time. If you're proclaiming God's word, rejection is going to be part of your life. But your fear of rejection, your fear of being put to the side, your fear of being denied in some way, where you're taking it personally about the gospel and you shouldn't be. Amen? Amen? Well, that's a little better. I mean, it's Jesus' gospel. It's not your gospel. But fear of rejection will stop you from saying something. Number two, death. All of us have a certain number of days. All of us are going to live to a certain point, and then we're going to die. Now, believers in Jesus Christ should have confidence in where they're going. That's right. They should. But sometimes, because it's unknown... We're not quite sure. There's a fear. And if you're an unbeliever, how do you look at death? Do you have any idea what it means to die? Not too long ago, I remember in a message that I heard where a person thought, if I die, I'm going to be partying with Satan. And getting down. Really? Now, that's a defense mechanism if I've ever heard one. Because that person has no clue what they're going to experience. So you just put, plug something in that makes it sound like it's cool. Well, it's not cool down there. Amen. The number one thing to fear is failure. Failure. Fear of failure. The things that tripped me up in high school until I decided, what am I doing? It was a fear of failure. Trying something new. Doing something different. Now, for many people who are new believers in Jesus Christ, the Great Commission can be put in front of you in such a way where if you don't try it, you can't fail. But in actuality, you already are because you're not being used of God. Failure is something that trips up 99% of us. We don't want to fail in anything. We are conditioned as a society to be successful. When a person loses his job, he immediately comes to a conclusion he is a failure. But that's how we're conditioned. That's how we're raised. But it's not true. We have to remember these fears are real. The things that we experience as fears are real. Fear is a real emotion. Amen? But it is debilitating to your faith.
Remember, fear comes from the perception. Perceptions. And perceptions can be very large in our lives. The result of the fear in your doubt and lack of focus is a believer who is outside of the place where God wants you to be. You're not where God wants you to be when you are dealing with fearful situations. That's not meant to be a put-down, but it's true. You're not where God wants you to be. He doesn't want you to be fearful. It's a place in your mind that's unsettling at best and dreadful at the worst. God doesn't want you to be there, though. God doesn't want you to experience this on a prolonged basis. Amen? Fear is not the same as turning on and off a light switch. You can't just turn it on and turn it off. Amen? A false teaching in my mind is when someone says you shouldn't be fearful because that's something that, frankly, is just going to take you out of fellowship with God. That's not true. We need to understand that God encourages us with his word not to be, what, fearful. And why does he tell us this? Because he knows you're going to be fearful. Amen? Fear, in our flesh, there's no such thing as an absence of fear. Let's start with that. You're in the flesh. In the flesh, you're going to have fear. There's no such thing as an absence of fear. None whatsoever. You're in the flesh. It's an emotion. God created you with different emotions. God is an emotional God. Now, God is not fearful, but you're in the flesh. So you experience fear. Fear is like a wound that needs ointment and a bandage in order to promote healing. Did you get that? Fear is a wound that needs ointment. With a bandage to promote healing. Because we need to heal through the process of these fears that we experience. There needs to be a healing. So in order to overcome fear, which allows us to combat doubt and then regain focus on Jesus Christ. Notice how we reverse that now? You're overcoming doubt. You're getting back on your focus on Jesus Christ. There's a remedy. Fear must be suppressed with a reliance on God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? Fear must be suppressed. You put some ointment on it, put a band-aid on it, start the healing process. Suppress it. Kill it to death, huh? It's always there. You've got to suppress it, though. Because you're an emotional person. Let me do a sidebar for a moment. Fear is sometimes a good thing. Understand something. If you were to look at the Greek and Hebrew words of fear, it does talk about being afraid. But it also talks about reverence. Reverence for who? For God. There is a certain healthy fear. Healthy fears are being aware of your surroundings when you're out there. Amen? When you're going in a strange place, you don't walk around like you've been there before. Like, ah, 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 look, what's going to happen to me now? Somebody will knock you upside your head because you're not paying attention. Some fears are good. You need to be aware of what surroundings are. Fears enhance your senses. It makes you pay attention to certain things. So we don't want anyone to come away from this thing saying all fear is evil. No, we're not saying that. There are certain valid points in fear. Certainly when it comes to reverence for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? 
you should be fearful. You should be fearful of him and have reverence for who he is. God's not your buddy. He's God. Fear must be suppressed. Fear must be met with a very important word, courage. Amen? Courage. Courage is the key word to overcome fear. You have to draw upon God's strength to be courageous. When you take part in something that you are fearful of, what do you have to have? Courage. The fear is still there. But now you're covering it with courage. Courage is the essence of the believer that drives the necessary change to promote growth of your image in Jesus Christ. And the ability, in spite of any life difficulty or circumstance, notice how I said, in spite of life's difficulty. Because life difficulty for some of you will put you down. If you allow it to. But notice how I said, if you allow it to. Life's difficulty does not have to put you flat. That's a choice. You should be able to overcome life's difficulty to proclaim the good news for the Great Commission. Now, what that means is you've got to listen to what God's word says and now believe it. Believe it. Because God reminds you of the importance of being courageous. It's all through his word. Be courageous. It takes your mind off of the things that you're fearful of. If you're courageous, it takes your mind off of those things that you're afraid of. Have you ever wondered how... If you watch, I don't know if you watch NASCAR or not, or any auto race, okay? It could be NASCAR, it could be the indie races, the indie cars. Have you ever looked when they had the cameras on, looking outside the car, or maybe how fast they're going? They're going around the track at 230 to 240 miles an hour. And there's a field of about 38 cars when it starts. 38 cars riding around in an oval or a track at a top speed of about 230 miles an hour. Have you ever driven a car 230 miles an hour? You can try. You'll blow your engine. Do you realize the precision that is required for 38 cars to drive around a track at 230 miles an hour. And you know some cars wreck. Amen? And some cars wreck a little bit and some cars wreck a lot. Well, if you have fear, you don't belong out there. You don't belong anywhere near the middle of the pack, when they're going three and four wide. Does anybody know what that means? Four cars traveling at the same time, four wide, side by side, at 200 miles an hour. Fear cannot be in your bones. Now, that's an example that most of us will never experience. But the same thing applies. Courage overcomes fear. Courage makes you step out and do things that you didn't even think you could do. When I was in high school, I had no concept of doing a magazine. I had no concept of being on the bowling team. None whatsoever. Having courage makes you take chances. But in a good way. God wants you to 
Be courageous. He gives us many reminders and words of encouragement throughout Scripture. Amen? Thank the Lord for words of encouragement. Because by the time, if we don't have words of encouragement as believers, we'd be basket cases. We'll all be babbling and running down the street. Thank goodness for words of encouragement. Because life is tough enough, isn't it? Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll take a look at a verse. And we'll take a look at a few verses. But I want you to understand that fear does not come from God. If we're in the flesh, fear comes from someone else. We have to make the connection and understand that God is giving us these words of encouragement for us to internalize and use to overcome our fears. Pardon me, verses 6 and 7 in 2 Timothy 1. It says, therefore, I remind you. Notice how God says I rem- through his word, he'll say remind you, affirm you, give you information that you can rely upon. The reminder is that he hasn't changed. His word is the same. We're the ones that are iffy. We're the ones that are sometimes. We have to be reminded on where our focus needs to be. I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. God has given you a gift. Do you know how to use his gift? Do you recognize that you have it? You are a gift. You were chosen by God to live. What a gift that is. You have a purpose. If you didn't have a purpose, you wouldn't be here. Amen? For God, verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So where is this fear coming from? Amen. Know your enemy. Your enemy wants you to be fearful. When you're fearful, you are ineffective in the body. Amen? Is there any way, other way to look at it? When you are fearful of anything, all the, the top ten lists, you're ineffective in the body. You're distracted. Fear of loneliness means you're focusing on what? Finding somebody to keep company with you. But where's your focus on Jesus Christ? Where's your fellowship with Jesus Christ? You are never lonely in Christ. Amen? Please turn to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Now look. Between prosperity gospels and gospels that are taught all over the place about where you should be in your faith, I'm telling you, part of your image is enduring. Because you're going to come across stuff that's going to be opposition in opposition to you. Whatever it is. Because Satan's going to bring it. Satan's going to bring opposition in your life. Now, when God was proclaiming in his word in Deuteronomy, there's going to be opposition for the people of Israel. Something was going to happen to them. Because they were following the Lord, well, there's going to be opposition. Whatever that opposition is, everybody, it could be a co-worker who doesn't like you. It could be people you come in contact with who think you're ridiculous. Look at you, you Bible thumper. Who are you? Whatever it is. It says, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. Notice how he says terrified, terrified or afraid of them. What? Fear is the essence of some sort of terror, being afraid. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do you believe that? You have no 
reason to stay in fear for any length of time if you believe God is present in your life. He's right there with you. He gives you the Spirit. He dwells within you. You have Him with you wherever you go. He says He'll never leave you or forsake you. Do you believe that? Then there's no reason to stay in fear for any length of time if you believe that. What we don't do, see, what happens when we get fearful, we forget all the Bible verses we've ever learned in life. Amen? We forget everything. Total amnesia. Bible? What Bible? You mean the one sitting over on your desk drawer that you've been going to? You forgot all the verses. What's Deuteronomy 31, 6? I don't know. I forgot it already. I'm scared of everything. The world's crashing down on me. can't forget. He's reminding you. He's present at all times. Joshua 1.9. Here's another one. Turn to Joshua 1.9. Many of you know this one. Now, you, you shouldn't forget this verse. Here's Joshua chosen to be the new leader of the people of Israel. He's young. He came up under Moses. He's been given instruction. He was trained well. He is prepared to do the job. But what's one of the most important things that God says to Joshua? Joshua 1.9. Haven't I commanded you? Haven't I? I've been telling you. I'm going to keep on telling you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's telling you the same thing. You the same thing. Joshua. All y'all are Joshua. God is talking to you. I've been telling you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord is with you wherever you go. Amen? The Lord is with you when you're traveling. The Lord is with you in Denver. The Lord is with you in Las Vegas. The Lord is with you in Japan. The Lord is with you everywhere you go. Wherever you got to go, he will be there with you. Fear is anxiety and can be driven by impatience. God wants you to be patient. Impatience will make you do stuff you shouldn't be doing. Amen? If you're impatient and you're scared, what do you do? You run somewhere and guess what? Sometimes you'll run into traffic. You're not even paying attention to what's going on. You're impatient. God wants you to be patient. Turn to, uh, t- t- pardon me, turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 14. Patience is the key in this. One of the things that we have trouble with, because we're in the flesh, is patience. For those of us who have been in situations where there have been job changes, layoffs, the one thing we want to do, we want to find a job yesterday. We really do. We want to find a job because that's important for us. We have to be, God, I know you can take care of us, but i got to find a job anyway. Yeah. God, I know. You don't even know what you're saying after a while. You're so impatient. We always have to remember what God's word says, that he is never going to leave us or forsake us. And that means in our change of job, in our situation, he's still with us. He encourages us. You're not going to starve to death. He's taking care of the birds. They're getting their food. They're getting their nourishment. You're going to get yours. But we obsess because of fear and a lack of patience. And it takes our focus off of God and we doubt. That's what happens. 
But look at what it says here in Psalm 27, 14. It says, wait for the Lord. We can make a song out of that. Wait for the Lord. Everybody, wait for the Lord. And then the next verse, be strong and courageous. And look at that. It says it again. Wait for the Lord. Everybody say it. Wait for the Lord. Amen. That says it all. I don't have to add to that. Wait for the Lord means wait for him. He has the time. It said it twice. Wait for the Lord. Well, it's poetry. You know, poetry will do that to you. But he's telling you the truth. Wait for the Lord. Wait on him. Don't get ahead of him in your impatience. Amen? When we're impatient, we get ahead of God. God, I'm going to beat you running. I'm going to get you. I got it. You're going to break the tape ahead of him. But what have you got? Where if you just wait on him, he'll give you something better than you can ever imagine. Amen? Wait for the Lord. Now, one thing that God wants you to do, too, in this time of anxiety, is that he wants you to experience rest and comfort as you rely upon the Spirit to overcome this fear. Because you have to rely on the Spirit to help with this. Go to John 16.33, please. John 16.33. Praise the Lord. John 16.33. Now, you understand that when Jesus gives you words of encouragement, it's up to you to believe and accept those words. I can't make you do anything. You have to do it. He's telling you these things to reassure you and give you comfort in a difficult situation. In difficult circumstances. Understand something. When you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when things are going crazy at work, when things are going crazy in your circumstances, people will see you being the best person you can be, even in those same circumstances. You are supposed to be a light in a dark world. If they can see a difference, you've done what you need to do. Focus on him. Nothing to be fearful of. It says, I've told you these things in John 16, 33, so that in me you may have what? Peace. Not a piece of pie. Not a piece of chicken. Not a piece of anything else. Peace. Peace. You will have suffering in this world. Amen. Now, it's something when Jesus tells you what we've been talking about. You're going to have suffering in this world. But be courageous. I have conquered the world. You believe that? He has conquered the world. I'll just come out and tell you right now. He has conquered the world. There's nothing that gets past him. There's nothing that goes on in this world that he isn't aware of. He has conquered the world. He's conquered death for us. He made the atonement for us. He's conquered the world. Fear is the absence of trust. Amen? It's the absence of trust. God reminds us to trust him. Leave the results of anxiety at his feet. Put your cares at his feet. Who knows what verse I'm going to give next? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Now, all of y'all know this verse. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. You already know what the verse says. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Fear is leaning on your own perception, your own way of seeing things. That's what fear is. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways, and he will guide your paths. Now, you all know that verse. You don't get brain damage and amnesia when stuff gets rough, do you? I can't remember a thing. My brain is completely out of my head and forgot everything about it. I'm so afraid. Where's your trust in the Lord? Trust in the Lord. Psalm 27, verse 1, if, you, if, you, if you're there, you can flip to it. But it looks at where the focus should be on Jesus Christ. The Lord is my light and my salvation. That's Psalm 27, 1. Whom should I fear? If the Lord is your light and your salvation, what do you need to be afraid of? Amen? Amen? What do you need to be afraid of? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? Stronghold. He is the one that you're embracing. He's the one that's surrounding you. He's your protection. You've heard the verse, the Lord is a strong tower. All the different ways we describe the Lord, they're all things of strength. They're all things of power. And yet he's compassionate. He's a wonderful counselor. He's the prince of peace. All those ways we describe the Lord. There is no need to go it alone. There is strength and courage in numbers. Now, who am I talking to? Those folks that think, I can do it all myself. I don't need nobody. I can do all this myself. He ain't no friend. Well, you're just being a fool now. There's strength in numbers. Stay in a fellowship. Satan will make you think, Something so bad, I got to get away. I can't be around anybody. I need to run somewhere. Where are you running to? You don't even know where you're running to. Stay in a fellowship. When things are going bad, don't run away. Stay with a body of believers you can pray with. There's nothing wrong with saying, pray for me, my prayer is unspoken. Okay, so you don't want to be embarrassed. You give it to the Lord then. Let people pray for you. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. I want you to turn to that real quick. Philippians 1, verses 27 and 28. Stay in a fellowship. You know, we, we encourage people that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ to come to church. But you know what? We are our own worst enemies. As believers, we don't even go to church the way we should be. You know, church attendance, you know, if you look nationwide, even in the big churches, the ones that proclaim to have the biggest audiences, you know, those Coliseum-sized churches, attendance is down for them, too. You can hide in those churches anyway. You can go and sit in the back of the church, slip in at, after the pastor didn't start speaking, and slip out five minutes before he's done. And you call yourself doing something. I went to church. Did you? Good. What about fellowship with the others? Truly hearing what God has to say to you. In verse 27 of Philippians 1, it says just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the first thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or I am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance, and this is from God. Standing side by side. Supporting each other in the gospel. And notice how it doesn't say anything about your problems or your issues. Look, all of us have issues. All of us have problems. We deal with it every day. 
But is there anything referenced in the scripture that talks about, well, because I got issues and problems, I got to go run somewhere? Sorry, you don't get a pass on that. Amen? We all have issues. You know, like I say, like issues. We do. Not bragging. We all have issues. So we deal with them. Right? We still fellowship. Right? We don't run away. Amen? Okay. Trusting God in your fear leads to confidence that there will be a good result. You don't know what the result's going to be. But God is giving you the confidence that there will be a good result. There will be a good outcome. We just can't put that outcome before God. When we start doing stuff out of order, we're going to mess it up. But even more than the good result, everybody, the most important thing, and this is where your development as a believer will really drive this home, not just looking for good stuff to happen all the time. It's cool if it does, but the most important thing that we have as believers is glorifying God. Do you get that? You are God glorifying God in your actions, no matter what the outcome is. That's your purpose. That's your purpose. Glorify God. The outcome is less important. Glorifying God is all important. Amen? Go to Daniel chapter 3. Here's a great section of scripture. Some of you may know where this is. I'm going. Daniel 3 verses 15 through 18. We're going to pick up in the middle of it. But the king is talking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he's talking about how you need to be ready to proclaim him as Lord, the king. Daniel chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. Now, if you look at this scripture for what it is, and, and for those of you who have never read it before, you're thinking, surely Shadmach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to meet their doom. Because of what this, this king is crazy. He's a nutcase. And he is. You have to look at these people, these characters that you're reading about, and you say, this guy is, is irrational. He doesn't make any sense. He wants all this stuff to happen. He gets his own people killed in the process of trying to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he don't care. He's a nutburger. And we have to deal with people like that sometimes, don't we? People who are irrational, people who don't think straight, people who do things that you don't know where it's coming from. Except Satan. It says in verse 15 of Daniel 3, Now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, this is how, this is how maniacal this king is. As soon as the instruments start playing, you're supposed to bow down to him. Now, if you're, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. That's great. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? See, the king thinks he's bad, okay? Let's just put it right where it is. If you don't want to worship me, I'm just going to throw you behind in the fire and that'll be it for you. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. That takes courage. That takes boldness to say that. You're talking to the king. And he already told you what he's going to do to you. Now check this out. Verse 17. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Now that's a confidence that they serve a God who can do the very things he proclaimed. Amen? Now check out verse 18. This is where we as believers, we sometimes eradicate stuff like this because we don't want to really deal with it. 
But look at what verse 18 says. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Now, it takes courage to say something like that, not knowing the outcome. We always pray for good outcomes. We always pray for good things. But we know in history, people have been martyred for the gospel. But they're speaking at the time when they're being martyred in a way just like this. Because ultimately, it's not about your survival. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about glorifying God. And if you read further along, you know what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. You think he's crazy here? You saw what happened to him in the wilderness. Before what he finally did, what? Proclaimed God and glorified him. Sometimes God has to use extreme measures to get to some of us. Hopefully he doesn't have to do that for you. Well, your nails are growing long and the dew is growing and you're holed up somewhere for seven years. What amazing courage Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave. But make no mistake about it. Your courage is far from your own strength. Amen? God provides the ability for you to overcome fear and be strong in him. Philippians chapter 4, I, I can read it, it's verses 11 through 13. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Now that's a, that's a big deal. Be content wherever you are. We can't even get to verse 13 before we get past that one. Some of us, be content where you are. Oh, no, I ain't got enough money. Oh, no, so-and-so's got a bigger house than me over on the other side of the street. Look at that family. I wish I could have a family like that. Be content where you are. You've lost complete focus on God when you're worried about what somebody else is doing. Amen? We're not even talking about fear. Now we're just talking about being ridiculous. And it's not a sermon about being ridiculous. But sometimes we can be. Because we're losing our focus on where Jesus Christ would have us to be. Verse 12, I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Now, most of us jump to verse 13 immediately, but we need to look at 11 and 12. 11 and 12 are very important because verse 13 don't mean nothing if you ain't doing 11 and 12. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if you ain't doing 11 and 12, forget 13. Amen. Forget 13. Proverbs 3, verses 25 and 26. Don't fear sudden danger or ruin or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from a snare. The focus is on the Lord being your confidence. The Lord being your courage. Bad things are going to happen. Amen? Bad things are going to happen. Bad things do happen to good people, bad people, all people. They're going to happen. Our advantage as believers is that we can rely on the courage that we get through Jesus Christ. Unbelievers don't have that kind of hope. That's why they're looking at you. You're the source of the hope. If people can see Christ in you, those bad things that happen to them, hopefully they'll see a light that they're drawn to. That's you. Amen? Amen? Stuff happens to you too, but you have courage. 
in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from its farthest corners. I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear. Listen to this theme, everybody. Hear it? Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. God offers himself to you for comfort, for healing, preservation, and love, which overcomes what? All fear. Love overcomes all fear. Amen? He is your confidence. He is your confidence. He is our confidence that we will succeed in any difficult situation or circumstance. He is our success. Not looking at what the world does. He is our success. Do you see that? He is our success. His love overcomes fear. Please turn one more verse and we'll be done. 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. And we'll finish up. 1 John 4, verses 17 through 19. <clears throat> Pardon me. His love overcomes fear. We as believers need to internalize that. We need to live that way. When we're fearful, draw upon Jesus Christ. Lay the burdens at his feet. He will help you with those burdens. He will help you to overcome. He will provide healing in that very moment you call on him. He provides immediate healing. Verse 17, in this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Amen? Perfect love drives out fear. Knowing Jesus Christ's perfect love for us, and I mean perfect love, love that's far beyond the love that we talk about in the world, perfect love drives out all fear. Fear just needs to be covered, put a Band-Aid on it, put some antiseptic on it, cover it up. And allow God's confidence to give you courage to step forward in the midst of your circumstances. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we just thank you for how you show us how we can be courageous. We just thank you for the message that you give us. We just thank you and give you just uh, all the praise, Lord, for everything that you've been saying to us about how we need to draw upon you when things are difficult. Help us to see, Lord, how you work in these circumstances. Help us to see full in the face, if we just step out of the way, what you can do for us. And we thank you, Lord, for that message. We just give you the praise and all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.